What a great song for Mother's Day to talk about faith passing down to generations. And in fact, that was my lovely wife, which if you don't know, this is my wife, Lindsay uh, Gertis. Yes, um, it was her idea to play that song on Mother's Day. Uh, and as we were talking about it, I'm like, oh, that's going to be good because it really is such an emotional kind of poignant song to talk about how faith passing down to generations to generations. And so what's kind of become a tradition around here, we wanted Lindsay to come out and pray for all of our moms for Mother's Day because we are so incredibly grateful for you and the role that you play in the passing down of faith from generation to generation. And so Lindsay's gonna pray for you. Uh, before she does that though, she has an announcement that uh, doesn't just apply to moms, but obviously does apply to moms, but all women in our church. So why don't you tell us about that? And then we'll pray for all of our moms. Okay, so one of our most favorite things to host around here is our yearly women's conference. And last year we hosted it online, but this year we are bringing it back. back in person, and we baby. want you to come and join us for yeah, WOCO One Day. We are so pumped about it. It's going to be Saturday, October 2nd from 9 o'clock to 3.30. Early bird rate tickets are already available. So far, 12 people have bought their tickets. So, and I am one of them. <laughs> um, so we want you to get your tickets today. You can also add on a lunch option. Um, it's going to be an incredible, incredible time, and we don't want you to miss it. So again, get your tickets. They will go pretty fast, and we will be at limited capacity. So go ahead, block off that day. Tell your husband right now, hey, you got the kids on Saturday right. for WOCO One Day. That's a great Mother's Day gift. That right is, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So we're so excited about it, and we want you to join us. It's not just for revolution, ladies. You can invite your friends, um, your family. Join us. We want you to come and experience incredible teaching, powerful worship. I know that you will leave changed. So right. go ahead yeah. and make plans to do that. And for all the husbands who are like, hey, you hadn't gotten a gift yet, you're like, surprise. Surprise. This is your gift. Welcome on Mother's Monday. Day, right? Yes, Woo. there you go. Um, anyways, um, it's such an honor for me to be able to just um, be able to pray for all of the mothers in this room and those of you who are watching online and those of you who are watching in Jasper. Um, we truly are one church in multiple cities and I'm just so thankful to be able to just pray over you and to pray over us as moms. Um, I know that Mother's Day can bring about a lot of emotions and some that are filled with complete and total joy, and then some that are filled with grief. And maybe you're sitting in here today and you just long to be a mom, or maybe you've lost your mother. Two of my very best friends have lost their moms in the last year. And walking through that grief with them is, is hard. So I can't imagine how they feel today. So I don't know where you are, but I do remember that, that I haven't even told you I was gonna share this, but um, 12 years ago on Mother's Day weekend, we um, had a failed placement in our adoption. And I've never felt such grief than what I felt in that moment. And now 11 years later, almost 12 years later, we have a very bubbly little girl because um, 
even though that adoption failed, God brought us the child who truly was designed for us. And if you know her, you know. She is supposed to be a Gertis. Um, Her and I are a lot alike. And so God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. So I just wanna encourage you that God knows what he's doing. And it doesn't always add up maybe to us. And our grief sometimes might feel just too hard to bear, but God knows what he's doing. And also motherhood is so joyful. Watching my kids worship, watching my 17 year old worship here at church is one of the greatest gifts that a mom could ever want. So I just wanna encourage you to keep going. Now I'm supposed to pray. So let's do that. God, we just come before you and we love you. Lord, I love this local church so much. I love that we are one church in multiple cities and I I love every single mom, every single woman who is joining us today. And I just wanna say thank you, Lord, for creating women. We are complex, but yet we are a masterpiece. And I thank you, Lord. And God, more than anything as a mom, what I want so desperately is to know that my children are walking in your truth. Laundry can wait. The mirrors can be dirty. But I want my kids to know you. That is the most important thing to me. And God, I just right now, I just wanna lift up the moms in this room, Lord. God, may you instill in them a love for your word because there is no way that we can make it as mothers if we are not rooted and grounded in your truth. Only you give us the courage to step in to motherhood. So I pray, Lord, that we would parent out of the overflow of our heart because we've spent time with you. And God, for those sons and daughters who are in here who are grieving the loss of their mom today, Lord, would you wrap them up? Wrap them in your love and let them know that you care for them. You deeply love them. Lord, you have not left us. You make a way every single moment. So God, I just pray that today, today we would leave here recharged and renewed and refreshed as we realize that you, you love us no matter what our circumstance is, God and you go before us. God, may women in this church, may mothers in this church raise up as brave warriors as we lead our children to you. That is the only thing that matters. That is the only thing that, with, will, that will withstand, Lord. That is the only thing. You are the only thing that is constant. So Lord, may you draw us in, may you draw mothers in today and give us the strength and the courage. Oh God, for that mom who's sitting here, who poured their life into their child and then they walked away, Lord, bring that child home, bring them home, Lord. God, we know you can. 
We know that you love that child more than that mother ever can. Lord, we honor you today. Thank you for creating mothers. And thank you for your word. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, you can clap. Um, I just wanted to say to everybody, thank you for being such an incredible mom. And um, our two kids do worship and love Jesus, but in large part because of you. So thank you, and uh, you're an amazing mom. Let's give it up for her. All right. Oh, man. Uh, that woman can pray, can't she? Telling you what. Um, whenever she, sometimes she'll pray for us or pray for me before I'm coming to speak because we'll be sitting in the gathering together singing, and, and I know that it's about to get emotional. I'm like, I can't be crying up in here before I go. And preach, preach, or preach to you. I don't even know what I'm saying. All right. If you got a Bible, open up to John 3. All right, let's just dig in. John chapter 3 was where we're going to be uh, today. If you've been with us for the last several weeks now, we've just been teaching through the gospel according to John, and today we're in John chapter 3, and we're going to look at a story that um, where some kind of conflict and discussion arises, which I know, moms, you know nothing about, that interaction but it's a story that's not necessarily unique to Mother's Day or maybe you, know, you think has anything to do with Mother's Day. But as we were laying out this series and I was thinking about this text, I thought, oh, man, I think there's some, some great applications in here specifically to moms. Obviously, it'll apply generally to all of us, but I want to do my best to make some applications to that as well. So we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. All right, let's go and I'll set up the story for you. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them, and he was baptizing. Verse 23, John, John the Baptist, John the witness, also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So this is John the apostle writing this years after this event happened. And so he's kind of helping us know chronologically where this was in the storyline. And so you got John the Baptist or John the Witness. We've talked about him for several weeks in this series. And if you haven't been here, you can go back and watch those messages. So he was baptizing kind of as a, as a forerunner, as a precursor to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. And now Jesus is on the scene and his disciples are beginning to baptize. And so you're in this moment of transition to where John's life, and you're going to see in this text, is, is kind of moving out of the spotlight, and Jesus' life and ministry is moving into the spotlight. Well, naturally, in that type of transition or that type of, you know, where, where this moment in time is happening, it, it has the potential to create some conflicts, which is exactly what happens. Look at the next verse. It says, now a discussion arose. I love how the Bible says it like that. A discussion arose. Another way to say it is an argument arose. An argument arises between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, which means over cleanliness. Women and moms, I know you know nothing about arguments that happen over cleanliness, right? This is so foreign to you, but go with me here, all right? And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, that'd be Jesus, to whom you born witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So in this moment of transition, 
John's disciples see Jesus and his disciples getting more influential. And naturally, they're kind of on edge about that. And again, that's why I just laugh, because when this discussion arises, this argument comes up, I can just picture, again, I, I, my mom went to be with Jesus over eight years ago, and I had one of the most incredible moms ever, and I'm the youngest of three. There were plenty of times in my house where a discussion arose, where an argument happened, and, and I have two children now, and there's so many times where, you know, you're just rocking along, things are going great, and all of a sudden, an argument happens. You're like, what just happened? I don't know how we got here. Can we just go back to what the, you know, this piece that we just had prior to, five seconds, you know, just what happened here? Well, almost always, the argument centers around someone getting more attention than the other one, someone getting more Skittles than the other one. Right? How many times have you seen that happen? She got seven, I got five. Her piece is bigger than mine. She gets a toy. What's well, her birthday, sucker? Where's mine? Look. I mean, you kind of get what I'm, what I'm throwing down here, right? I mean, his disciples, this is why I love this word. It points out the word look here. In, in the text, it's an interjection. It's a word that's an interjection, which you use, now check this, to, dis, to express emphatic emotion. Don't miss that. Emphatic emotion. You ever been in a conversation where someone is expressing emphatic emotion? Look, mama. They're all going to him. That's literally the conversation. Now, now, don't miss this. This is Jesus. And John the Baptist, who Jesus says there's no other person born of woman greater than John the Baptist. So you got two of the greatest humans in human history. And his disciples are like, look, he's getting more. Shallow much, right? Look, they're all going to him. And this is why I think this is such a, a great message for us, again, specifically for mothers, because I'm going to show you John the Baptist's response, which I'm going to help you hopefully know how to, to respond in those situations, not because I'm a great mom, obviously, I'm not, because I'm not a mom, but I'm going to show you what John says, because man, he, he throws down some incredible wisdom you're going to see in just a moment, but also can help all of us in these types of situations where just seemingly out of nowhere, emphatic emotion arises. And someone's like, look, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Everybody's going to him. They're getting more than me. Because so often this emphatic emotion arises out of, now listen to me, a place of an emotional unhealthiness. It arises out of a place in us that is broken, that, that God hasn't fixed yet, that something in you, some neediness in you, some unhealthiness in you is now coming out in a sense that, that now you're pointing out the real reason of your unhappiness you think is because someone else is getting something that you deserve. So you think, 
Let me say it to you like this. One of the best ways to test your emotional healthiness is do you celebrate when others get more than you? Do you celebrate the fact that someone you love, that someone that you care about, God is blessing them? And this is what makes Christianity unique because Christianity goes a step further. Not just love your neighbor, but love your enemy. Let me say it to you like this. Can you stand back and say, thank you, Lord, for blessing my enemies? Hmm? Some, some quietness on that one there. You're like, I don't, I don't know about this, Pastor. Because, listen to me, emotional health at the end of the day is measured by how do you treat your enemies? I mean, Jesus ups it. And this is why I wanted us to, to have a conversation around this text. But again, I think specifically regarding Mother's Day, it has a lot of applications uniquely to that as well. So let's look at John's response, verse 27 and 28. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. A person cannot receive even one thing. That phrase there, one thing, means even the smallest, littlest thing. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, this is John the Baptist talking, rem <laughs> this is wild, reminding them of what he said before. Moms, you ever had to do that before? Let me tell you again what I said. Listen to what he says. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Man, what a statement. First, you see John's incredible emotional healthiness, his incredible spiritual maturity. He is so mature because in the moment of perceived sliding, in the moment of perceived, oh, they're getting more than me, what does John say? Listen, everything I have has been given to me from the Lord. Not even one thing can you receive that God hasn't given to you. So this is where, again, Moms, this would be a great comeback when your kids are complaining about what they have. Listen, everything is a gift from the Lord. Another thing that people used to say, what can be given can be taken away. Right? As my dad used to affectionately say to me, I brought you into this world, sucker. I can take you out. But it's the idea that if I'm looking at what I have, compared to what other people have, then I'm failing to understand it's not about what I have versus what they have. It's about what I have that hasn't been given to me. Because everything has been given to me that I have. Everything. And when you have that type of mentality, when you have that type of attitude, when you have that type of biblical, spiritual depth to you that you understand, listen, it's all a gift. And since it's all a gift, if God decides to give it, if God decides to take it, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? 
And this is what we need to understand when it comes to our life. And this is why I even pushed on you a few weeks ago when we talked about tithing, we talked about giving. This is why I don't understand how people approach things in this life like it's theirs. Well, God didn't work this. I worked this. Yeah, but who gave you lungs? Who? Well, my mama. Well, who gave them to her? Who, let's go all the way back to Eve, right? Everything that you have is a gift from the Lord. Even the breath that you take, the pneuma, the, the, the literal, and this is why the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit like this, the breath within us every day is a gift. And so John responds with such emotional maturity when he says to his disciples that are like, look, we're getting more. What we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Then the second thing he says is this, which again, so incredible. It's like, I told you guys before. Again, moms, just put it on repeat. I just had this idea, you know, we live in the way, uh, the day of electronics, I think a great idea for all of us as parents, moms and dad, I'm just going to record what I want my kids to do. And when they come and ask me, just press play again. I'm tired of saying it. Clean your room. That wasn't a suggestion, homie. Clean your room, right? Maybe someone should invent that. Just a mom's recorder. Maybe that's what should be in the necklace that you buy her, right? Just, hold on. Press play. Let me say it again. And so again, I find this comical that John has to say it another time, remind them again. Now again, we're gracious with our children because literally our children's brains are going, it goes through it at about age four and it goes through it again about age 13 or 14 where their brains just start literally like pruning everything that they don't need. And so there's legit times where they forget right around age four, right around age 14, you're like, I done told you this twice. I, yeah, but my brain's pruning itself. I forgot, mama. Tell me again. There's legitimate reasons for it is all I'm saying. But notice that even in that, when John replies again, he's not, I mean, as far as we know, he's not getting upset. He's not being overly dramatic about it. He's like, let me tell you again how I live my life. I'm not but I am. Two statements that are huge. In fact, if you were here in week five uh, in this series, you can go back and watch it if you weren't called, who are you? People are asking John the Baptist, who are you? And three times he says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And the thing that he says in this point, he says, listen, I'm not the Christ. I am not the Christ. And the Christ is the Old Testament Messiah figure. It's, and again, it's not Jesus' name, it's his title. So when we say Jesus Christ, that's not his middle name, his last name. That was his title. Jesus was his name, Christ was his title. It's Messiah, literally means anointed one. The one set apart for a special purpose and the one who was coming to free us from all sin. So John has such a healthy, emotional view of who he's not. Listen, again, uniquely to moms, but obviously to all of us as well. We better know we're not the center. We're not. We're not the Christ. We're not the anointed one. Here's why this is good news for those of us that are parents. Don't you feel like so often it is all on you? 
I mean, my son's a junior in high school and we're going through the college process, right? And paying all this money and taking all these tests and filling out all these forms. It's like, I need a part-time job just to get the kid into college. And there's this sense, and I joke with him about it because he'll, you know, we'll joke about stuff. We have a great relationship. And I was like, do you understand everything that I'm doing to try to get you into school? He doesn't. He's 17, right? And it's not a knock on him. They just don't. They don't get it. But what can, what can happen so quickly is my source of anxiety, my source of stress starts to ratchet up more and more when I start to take on the responsibility of Christ in my kid's life. And it's so comforting for me to know and for you to know at the end of the day, my responsibility is to my kids. I'm responsible to them. But God ultimately is responsible for them. He is, they are his kids before they are mine. And it's such an incredibly comforting thing to know that at the end of the day, he loves them more than I do. And ultimately, my job is just to introduce him, them to him so that they know him and that they're in track with him. But he's the one who's ultimately responsible for saving them and directing them. And so, so much of our worry comes from us taking a role that we are not able to handle. So John says, I'm not the Christ, but he says, I have been sent before him. Now, I've told you that several times over the last several weeks, that word sent is literally the Greek word apostelos, where we get our word apostle. And it's the idea of I'm sent on a mission. So let me give you this point, and I'll unpack what I mean here. God has sent you before the Christ to point your kids to the Christ. God has sent you before the Christ to point your kids to the Christ. Now, John the Baptist, John the Witness, specifically here in just, you know, human history, he was literally born before Jesus. And then he went before Jesus. And so in chronological history, of course, he went before. But now us as parents, we're like, well, we're like 2,000 years after Jesus was here. But yeah, but here's what I'm saying kind of metaphorically. Before your kids will ever hear the voice of God, they will hear your voice. Before your kids will ever be aware of the fact that there is a God, they will be aware of you. So in a lot of ways, we go before in the life of our kids to help point them to a greater reality beyond what our love is for them. So as parents, we play a unique role in the development of our children. You know, I've been doing a lot of research as we've been kind of revamping our whole discipleship strategy and trying to help people become, you know, true disciples of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that later in the year. A lot of exciting stuff that we're really excited about but as I've been studying a lot of that, I've been doing a lot of research and, and God just kind of worked this out, like just introducing me to new concepts and about just brain science and how our brains develop. And, and literally when we are born, about a third of our brain is not developed yet, the front part of it, which the front part of it is really the decision-making part. The back part of it is more of the, what's called the kind of the emotional attachment part. And, and we now know that the emotional attachment parts in the back of the brain, which ironically, and you'll see this in a moment, 
are best connected through joy. So emotional attachments come through joy. In fact, joy, we always kind of distinguish in church about joy and happiness as if, like happiness is okay, but joy is great. But, but we understand happiness, and happiness isn't a bad thing. It's not bad to be happy you know, when you don't have traffic. It's not bad to be happy when your team wins. None of that's bad. But joy, I learned a new definition of this, is just simply relational happiness. It's finding happiness not in things but in people. So ultimately, that's what joy is. And our brains make emotional attachments, bonds, through people based upon joyful interactions with them. So this is why it's so important when a baby is born that they have an emotional connection instantaneous, as fast as possible with their mother, and then the mother literally smiling at the baby because the, the smile triggers that connection of, oh, she's happy to be with me. And the more often that that happens between the interaction between the child and the mother, the better emotionally developed they will be later on in life. It's crazy. I don't know if you've seen the movie Monsters, Inc. You didn't realize it had great theological ramifications, did you? You know how at the, at the beginning of the movie, they get electricity through scaring people? Because you want to know that in your brain, the other energy it can run on besides joy is fear. And people who don't develop healthy emotional attachments through joy will learn to run on fear because you can run on fear. But here's the amazing thing about how your brain works. Joy is way more powerful. And in the movie, Monsters, Inc., they realize that laughter is so much more powerful than fear. So one baby's laugh like fires up the whole city. And then they switch from scaring kids to making them laugh. Who knew that that's actually true? So, so hear me when I say this. How amazing it is that in the first moments of the child's life, and so literally, when children are born, the best thing for them is to look at them in their face and smile. Because they're already starting to develop those emotional connections and joys being developed that will literally help them develop into emotionally mature human beings. So here's what I'm saying to you. It is so apparent, uh, uh, important for us as parents to develop that joyful attachment so that as they grow older, they can also know that God is joyful to know them, that God is happy for them to know him. This is why the great blessing in Numbers chapter six, and I preached on this before, when the Bible says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord lift up his countenance to you. The idea of that, it's weird that it's lifting up because God is up, we are down. But the idea of it is that God is lifting you up like this, and he's lifting his countenance to you, and he's smiling. It's the idea that God's face is happy with me. And here's what I'm saying to you. As parents, particularly today as moms, the better job we do at that, the better job we're doing at pointing them to Christ. That's... that's that's some responsibility, right? And so what I'm getting at here is John understands he's not the Christ. He's not ultimately responsible, but he does have a role. And his role is he's been sent before to point people to Christ. And that's our role too, parents, is all I'm saying. That's our role. 
We're not the Christ. We're not the Messiah. We're not the ones ultimately responsible for saving our kids, but we are responsible for pointing them to Christ, showing how God is happy to save them in Jesus. Now let's go on. Talking a little bit about joy. Look at verse 29. It says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this, what's that next word there? Let's try this again. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond. So don't feel weird about talking in church. Only when I ask though. All right, let's try this again. Therefore, this what? Joy. Joy. Come on. You can't say that. Joy. We got to try this again. All right. With a smile. Let's try this again. Therefore, this what? Joy. Joy. There we go. Of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. God, John is such an amazing example for us. What is he saying to his disciples? He says, listen. And it's interesting to me that he pulls in the wedding picture. Because John, I think, uniquely understood something about the Bible, about human history. Remember, at this time, the New Testament is not written. Literally, it's written later about this interaction. But the Bible opens up with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and the Bible is going to close with the wedding, Jesus and his bride. And all throughout the scriptures, the Bible tells us about this relationship, even in in the Old Testament, about how the people of God are his bride. And even though the bride has been unfaithful to the groom, that God is going to be faithful to them. So here's John. He picks up on this metaphor, and it's a fantastic metaphor because it's one that we can understand. Ladies, obviously, it's one that you can understand because at the day of the wedding, all the relationships that are there, you know, the parents that are there, the grandparents, the friends, all the relationships, ultimately, what is the one relationship that the whole day is about? The bride and the groom, right? And unfortunately, what I'm about to describe, some of you have been a part of. People on that wedding day making it about them instead of about the bride and the groom. Making it about the mother, right? Making sure the mama's happy. Making it about the mother-in-law. Making it about the best man. But can you imagine the best man or the maid of honor being like, well, is everybody got to be looking at them. What's so special about her? Can you imagine the best man up there like this? I don't get it. But listen to me. But a lot of us, that's how we live our lives. We live our lives not finding the ultimate joy and other people coming to know Jesus. But notice what John says here. He says, the bride is all about the bridegroom. The bridegroom is all about the bride. How foolish it would be of me to step in as though I'm the bridegroom. I'm not. And and here's what John is saying. My job has been done. I have introduced the bridegroom to his bride. Now, this is why I had you repeat the word. He says, therefore, my joy is now complete. Remember I told you the word joy just means relational happiness. 
relational happiness. So John got the greatest joy in his life from introducing Jesus to his bride. Introducing Jesus to his people. And John says, my work is done, man. Literally, he says, he must increase. I must decrease. Now, if I could think of one statement that describes the exact opposite of the mantra of our culture, it would be that one. Wouldn't you say so? Because what does our culture say? I must increase. In fact, if I have a lot of followers on Instagram, I'm important. I'm what they call an influencer. And I'm not knocking those of you that are that. I'm just saying we have to at least with, with some type of objectivity look at our culture and realize that all the forces of our culture are pushing us to increase upward mobility up and to the right. Right? But yet here comes John the Baptist, John the witness that says, no, the real success of my life is down and to the right. The less I become, the less important I become, the less you know my name, the less that it's about me and the more that it's about him is my joy. Now, now that's crazy, but it's biblical. Let me say it to you like this. I'm not saying that getting attention and all those things is bad. What I'm saying is just recognize that there is a greater joy than that. The greater joy is when you take a role less sought after that says, you know what? I would love to help you. I would love for you to be more important than me. Now, let's talk about this as it uniquely relates to mothers. Now, children are a gift, correct? The Bible says that. And sadly, we live in a world today that's weird that we care more about the environment than we do kids. So don't hear me say something I'm not saying. Children are a gift from the Lord. And they are a blessing. And so I love my kids. But here's what I have to be uniquely aware of, and we have to be uniquely aware of, moms and dads, that at the, as much joy as they bring us, there is a greater joy to be had, and that is if we can step back, introduce them to Jesus, and then we find joy in their joy in him. So let me say it to you like this. We have to learn that our joy ultimately is not in them. It is in them finding their joy in him. You with me when I said that? Let me say it again. Our joy is not just in them, our kids, but our completeness of joy, our fullness of joy comes from when their joy is in him. So the ultimate goal of every parent, listen to me, is not to get them in college, is not to get them married, is not to get them a college scholarship, because that probably ain't going to happen for most of them. It is to introduce them to Jesus, the Christ, the one who died for them, the bridegroom, the one who is saying, I gave my life for you, and our joy will be greater if we can say that our joy is in the fact that they are enjoying Jesus. 
yet it amazes me how little time parents spend on that. Because they'll have them at every game, but not in church. They'll have them at every test. And I have my son at the test too. We just did ACT a few weeks ago. Oh, that racket. But my greatest joy is not watching my son go out on a football field or walk across the stage. My greatest joy is to watch my kid gathered with the people of God with his hands raised, worshiping God. And when we see that, we can step back and say, my job is done. My joy is now complete because my son's joy is in Jesus. And that's our job, church. Our job is to introduce our children to Jesus. And here's what I'm saying to you. The better job you do that, the more joy you'll have. And John the Baptist is a great example of that. This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. See, nothing would bring me greater joy as a dad. I know nothing would bring Lindsay greater joy as a mom. To stand back and say, you know what? I hope you remember me. But when we leave, I want you to know that you know Jesus, and so you're okay. Because it's not ultimately about you knowing us as your mom and dad. It's ultimately about you knowing him. And that's the greatest joy. And that's why our job is to pass down faith from generation to generation to generation. Now, let me wrap it up with this. It's interesting to me that John again, pulls this wedding metaphor, and it made me think of something, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were teaching through it in John chapter 2 at the wedding where Jesus turns water into wine, and so it made me think about the time that Jesus was at a wedding with his mama. So I've got these verses here on the screen. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but John chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So just a little side note here. Even Jesus had his mama telling him what to do. So if, if those of you who are here, you're like, my mama's always telling me. This ran out, that ran out. Now, a little word of wisdom to all of you kids with mamas. Don't respond back like Jesus did. When your mama's like, I'm out of toilet paper. Woman, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> Don't say that. You're like, well, Jesus said it. Yeah, because he's Jesus. You can't say that. But the reason why he said it, and we did this when we were here, and you could go back and watch that. He, he said it because he was... He was helping his own mother understand, listen, just because you're my mama, you don't have the right to direct God. So listen to me, moms, even the mother of Jesus had to learn obedience to Jesus. This is why it's crazy that, we, that people pray to the mother of Jesus as though she's somehow more important. It's, that's crazy. Jesus and his mom will be like, don't do that. But she learned something in that day. And this is, I think, the greatest thing that we could hear, the greatest, let me say it to you like this, moms, the greatest aspiration for you, the greatest thing for you to, to work towards is this. Look at verse five. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
do whatever he tells you. Moms, you want to know the greatest thing you can tell your kids? Do whatever he tells you. See, the real measure of a mother, listen to me, the real measure of a mother is not just how much she loves her kids, but how much she instills in her kids how much God loves them and how they are to obey and listen to him. That's the real measure. So mama said, do whatever he tells you. And what a great legacy for children to grow up and say, you know what? My mama wasn't always perfect, but you want to know what she did do all the time? She told me to do whatever Jesus tells me. She told me to listen to Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And mom, that's the greatest legacy that you can leave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, like Lindsay so greatly prayed, for moms. Men and women were your idea. Fathers and mothers, therefore, were your idea. And the, the moments as fathers and mothers that we kind of, right at that moment where our joy, we feel like it's almost going to explode because of the fact that you've given us these incredible gifts called kids, only starts to scratch the surface about how you feel about your kids. And so, God, I do pray for all of our moms and dads and anybody that's influencing kids at any sphere of life would learn how to take this posture of John the Baptist and, and say that, that he must become greater, that, that our joy comes in the fact that they are finding their joy in Jesus. We're not trying to live vicariously through our kids or make sure that they're perfect. We're just trying to accomplish one thing, where they live a life doing what Jesus says. So God, thank you. But God, we know there's people here that don't know you. And today could be the time where they understand that you love them even more so than their mother does. As we close this out, if you're in the house or watching online, if you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to understand today that there is no greater joy than that, being in right relationship with him. And so if you want to trust Jesus today, right there where you are, you are, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. And it's not about a prayer that saves you. It's just about, as the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, we confess with our mouths. So I'm just going to help you. I just want to introduce you to God in that way. And so if you want to pray and trust Jesus, you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. Thank you for loving me. I confess my sins, and I ask you to forgive me. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed to trust Jesus right there where you are, would you just simply lift up your hand? Again, nobody looking around. Don't worry about it. Just lift up your hand. Thank you. 
We got men and women gonna walk around, give you a Bible, give you some next steps. We wanna help you on this journey. And in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to fill out a connection card and let us know your name so we can follow up with you. Thank you. But then those of us who've trusted Jesus, again, let's be reminded of our role. We're not the Christ. It's not our job to save them, but it is our job to live sent, to point them to Jesus. So Father, we pray that you would bless us, give us the grace that we need to be these type of people. It doesn't apply just to moms or dads or parents. It applies to all of us. God, the greatest joys in our life should come from when those that we love have found their joy in you. So help us to live a life missionally, live sent so that people can know their Savior because there is no greater joy than knowing that those we love have found their joy in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.